0: So much innovation happening um, in Africa that can benefit places outside of Africa. So we look to like cross-fertilize the experience that we have outside of Africa with what we've been learning um, from the people working in Africa.
1: Hello and welcome to yet another episode of the Geospatially Africa podcast, the podcast for the African geospatial community. In today's episode, I'll be talking with Todd Lind. S.O.D. is Locana's Open Data and Development Unit business lead. And Locana is a Washington-based geospatial consultancy that helps organizations maximize the power of locational intelligence. Lokana happens to have done quite a number of projects in the African space over the years, from business to NGOs and humanitarian action. And they use quite a lot of open source data and software, and this would form the basis of today's episode. So I hope you sit back, relax and enjoy as you listen. Thank you so much, Todd, for joining us today. You are Locana's Open Data and Development Unit Business Lead. And you've come a long way to hold such a position within a company like Locana. Tell us, did you start in the geospatial field or did you just sort of find yourself in it, so to say?
0: Well, I got my start um, in university. I asked my advisor what are the tools that i would need to um you know be a good uh, professional when i started my career um to make sure that i was ready for what was to come and i was studying uh civil engineering in the university my advisor he said oh you you really need to check out this thing GIS it's going to be very big um so this was some years ago we've had GIS for <laughs> a long long time now but um But when I was in university, I got the great advice to um, to learn before I left university about GIS and and learn how to apply it to different types of problems. So, um, so that's how I got my start. And uh, and I've uh, I've I've since um, you know I started in transportation was the the field that I I did geospatial work in, and then I've I've been able to uh, work along uh, other different industries and um, and uh, domains and um, helping to solve different problems.
1: Yeah, and that's one thing I really like about the GIS tool, so to say, in any career development. So it's something that's applicable across board. And you personally seem to have, like, been able to apply it in different sectors, like from even Locana's portfolio in Africa. You've gone from business, um, uh, mapping financial services to um, hazards and humanitarian development and all that. That's like the beauty of the geospatial um, career. Like you get to work in different sectors. And for some people that get bored, <laughs> like this could be like the best thing because you can just apply the same set of skills across different sectors. So yeah, Lokana is a big deal currently in the geospatial field. And I know you've done so much in the African space. What do you think Lokana? aims to achieve with the African geospatial industry or this African geospatial space because I think going through like what you've done, you've been you've had the ability or to do so much projects, so many projects across the African generally, both in sub-Saharan Africa and even in MENA. And um you're kind of like a trend setting consultancy agency for geospatial technologies in Africa. So what's the aim really for for the African geospatial space?
0: Well, I think we focus on helping um, with international coordination. So a lot of times our customers are you know, based outside of Africa but want to make investments in Africa. Um, they want to find out more about what Africa has to offer in terms of developing new markets um, to help with um, problems that may exist um you know, with respect to um, climate change or lack of access to um, services and just to generally kind of, um, you know, raise livelihoods, um, um, you know, across the world. So, you know, what we have learned in our time working in Africa is that there's so much innovation happening um, in Africa that can benefit Places outside of Africa, so we look to like cross fertilize the experience that we have outside of Africa with what we've been learning um, from the people working in Africa. So, um, so that oftentimes means that you know we'll bring some things like open standards that have been developed by the international community, um, but really focused in. Um, the US or Europe, um, and they have a lot of benefits for making things interoperable and open and accessible. But then we learn about these amazing things that are happening in Africa around um, mobile first, or, you know, being um, online, offline, and very secure about it, and you know, doing a lot to democratize technology so that it's very, very usable for the end user and all you need is your mobile and, um, and you can take advantage of, of data and, and, and applications and technology. So, so I guess. To summarize, you know, we're looking to help con- make connections, um, internationally. And we love to like connect up, um, Africa based companies with the customers that we work with and partner with those companies to, you know, help develop creative solutions, but also to sustain them because we don't have much of a presence. We don't have a permanent presence in Africa right now, but we really like to make sure that we um, partner with people that can take things on that we can't continue because we don't, um, we don't live there. Um and then, you know, really looking to um learn as much as we can so that we can benefit from all the great work that's that done in Africa that, that the others um that we work with outside of Africa can, can benefit from.
1: Yeah, that's a beautiful answer. And and even looking at like some of your the work that you've done already, you know, we're talking about a lot of projects and some people might not know really although a quick glance at your website uh, would give you a lot of information on what Lokana is doing in Africa. But then could you just enlighten us on some of your recent projects um, that Lokana has done within the African space? I, as a Nigerian, kind of identify with some of your projects, although not very recently. But I would just like you to say a bit of like some of the new things that you're doing um, in the space and some of the things that we can look forward to in Africa that Lokana is contributing to.
0: Okay. Yeah, so we've been doing a lot of work with um, OpenStreetMap, if you're familiar with that. It's um, a free and um, open map of the world for everyone. So there's a lot of work that can be done on top of OSM to um, do really all kinds of different things. Um, Some of the work that we've been doing recently is around looking at the viability of solar microgrid development. So looking at rooftops and looking where um, buildings are in villages and understanding their connectivity to um, existing electrical networks and like figuring out where it makes sense to go in and invest in a microgrid, so helping kind of with the electrification of rural areas um in several different countries and then we also have helped working and that's for a private uh, company and then kind of again in the kind of the private space we work with um uh you know, companies that want to um, source agricultural products from Africa. So looking at where they can find citrus fruit, for example, that then can be um, kind of aggregated, um, processed, uh, kept cold, and then moved to market and then eventually shipped um, to export markets in, in Europe and other places. So that is a really interesting geospatial problem where you're looking at, you know, what are where are the um, – the sources of the fruit and then what what are the the routes that are most efficient to get that fruit to market and then from market how to get it to a processing facility and where to locate that facility. Um, so it's really like um kind of a whole value chain kind of mapping. Um, and some other things that we've been working on in the, in I would call it kind of the um the third sector or the social benefit space um large ngos and donor organizations um it's bringing together a lot of data that help um kind of um paint the picture of where climate change is going to have the most um impact and then figuring out where um areas um exist that don't have the adaptive capacity to deal with that uh, impact very well so focusing investments on um, areas that are going to be greatly impacted by climate change and then um, helping to get policies in place and um, resources in place to help those, um, those communities adapt. And, and, and you know, that is them kind of taking the form of like a web-based tool to, um, to look at a map and then filter out areas that um, you might be most interested in. If you're interested in livestock, if you're interested in um, agricultural commodities, if you're interested in um, cash crops, those sorts of things, and then if you're interested in you know, things getting more dry, things getting more wet, more extreme weather events, kind of looking at what are the issues that you are most interested in working on and where are those issues most um, severe and where are the people that are going to be most impacted and how can you help them best. So those are the things that we're doing kind of right now in the, in the current times. And then kind of in the not too distant past and, and fairly recently, we've worked in the areas of um, humanitarian assistance to, um, uh, refugee population so helping to figure out where folks are migrating to and from and what services they need to um you know be safe and and be fed and and get to where they're going and um, have the supports they need to do that safely and successfully and then we're also working in um So recently we worked in the area of um, financial access. So we did a lot of work um, to um, working with a bunch of different Africa-based organizations to map where financial access points exist and then combine that with population data to identify gaps where financial access needed improvement. And oftentimes that financial access was being improved with um, mobile money. So there was a, an element of like looking at um, the coverage from the mobile network operators and then looking at the existing um, uh, financial networks. So looking at um, brick and mortar banks, at Sako locations, at um, ATMs, and like figuring out like where... Um, the central bank can encourage development of financial service access and then how to also affect policy and put incentives in place so that mobile network operators can can really play a big role in helping um, people get access to you know, the ability to make remittances, the ability to make savings deposits and withdrawals, the ability to purchase insurance and all the financial services that they need to, um, to conduct their lives. So, um, that, that was another thing we did a, a lot of. And then we've also worked in, um, in, uh, in other aspects of agriculture and, um, in helping to figure out, you know, kind of where different crops might be best suited to be grown and, um, and what, kind of supports are in place to make those things happen like agro dealers and how to distribute seeds and fertilizers and whatnot. So um, a lot of interesting stuff um, recently and currently and uh, I could talk more about all that stuff but um, I'll let you ask the questions.
1: I know, I know, I know you can. You sound very excited when you start talking about the project and even I am excited because you know this is something that Um, A lot of people, especially in this part of the world, are just getting to know, like, the average person on the street really doesn't know what GIS is. Like, if you say you're in the geospatial sector, they don't know what, they say, like, what is it? But then these things really impact our lives generally. Like, for example, in Nigeria, something you said about the financial accessibility and, you know, agency-based banking and all that. Most Nigerians these days know they just know that oh, there's a POS, there's a mobile agent that they can go to. Most people, and this has really helped like to reduce the stress on the major banking sector. But it's also, you know, helped to give people better access that they can just get money anytime they want to, just behind their houses. And it's empowered like people and giving them jobs like to be agents. You know, there's access closer, there's Paga, there's all that. And as in Ni- in Nigeria now. Listening to me will be like oh so these things you know were made possible by geospatial te- technology and yes that's 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 basically what we're trying to preach you know using you know this pat- platform and all that to, to let let people know that even their lives really revolve around geospatial technology even though they do not know um, I know that Locana uses a lot of um, open source technology and data. And even as you have mentioned, you're working with OpenStreetMap data. Now, um, I also know that Lokana supported the State of the Map conference. Tell us about Lokana's involvement with that. I know you use a lot of data from OpenStreetMap, so it really makes sense. But then how did that come about and why do you believe so much in the OpenStreetMap's vision? Yeah.
0: Yeah, so we've been working with OpenStreetMap for about 10 years and we first started using it for our, what we call our kind of our our traditional GIS analysis projects where we're being, you know, asked to solve a problem with maps. And then we got involved in the humanitarian assistance space, working with the Red Cross and others like um, the humanitarian OpenStreetMap team to build tools to help them you know, expand the use of OpenStreetMap into post-disaster situations. So we helped build a tool based on OpenStreetMap called OpenMapKit, which uses Open data Kit but builds on some specific components that are um, useful for capturing OSM data. And we also helped build a, um, uh, a like a server called Portable OpenStreetMap that allowed um, these uh, organizations to take. OSM out into the field in a post-disaster situation where there was no electricity, no internet, no anything, but they could have this um, kind of a Wi-Fi access point that people that were collecting data and updating maps um, could all be kind of working together and updating the map in the field, so that people that were out there could be looking at a, a map in real time and, and seeing what was what was happening. Like so, there were. Um, damaged buildings being flagged. There was flooded areas being, being drawn. There were um, all kinds of, you know, things that were, um, needed to, um, be considered when they were deciding, you know, what actions to take to, to address the situations. Um, and then, so that's how we got involved in, and OSM is first kind of using it because it was the best available source for our projects. And then we were lucky to get involved in some of the people that were really driving the adoption of OSM, um, in, in the humanitarian sector. And, and since, um, a few years ago, OSM adopted a new, um, data license to open database license that opened up a lot of, um, opportunity for, um, uh, private companies to get involved with OSM. So we've been lucky to work with private companies to build tools to help um increase the pace at which OSM is being completed and then helping OSM being kept to be kept up to date and for the quality content to continue to improve. So we really feel like um like OSM and Open or OpenStreetMap is um, you know, this amazing way to have everybody in the on the planet, you know, kind of working from the same map, understanding things in a consistent way. And because it's local, and because it's, um, you know, the people that are mapping, um, you know, can be mapping their own local communities, um, it really reflects, it really has the opportunity, I should say, to reflect, you know, what the people living there want to have seen on their map. So it doesn't have to be you know, made from somebody, a map made by somebody who's never actually visited the place and doesn't know what's important to that local community. You can really kind of represent your community the way you would like to on the map and focus on the priorities, um, that are important to your community. Um, and we love the fact that there is a very strong focus on, um, you know, being involved with the entire planet with OSM. So there's a lot of, um, uh, well-supported regional conferences. And we just want that to keep happening. And we want more people to be brought to the OSM community. Um, we've also worked in the past with Youth Mappers, which is um, a great program that um, trains university students on how to use OSM and just mapping um, skills in general. And we look to those folks to help us with projects from time to time. And we just think it's a great movement that um, is going to you know, bring benefit and and opportunity to everybody on the planet who who needs a map and wants to have a map that's consistent and they know is reflective of the community.
1: Yes, and that's beautiful. Like, one of the really major uh, benefits of the OSM project is, like, the fact that, like, local people, like you said, can represent what they want on their maps. Um, Although in most recent times, it's known that, like, you know the fact that crowd mapping is a thing most people from all over the country um all over the world can map places with they've never been to which is also something and you know there's also the critique about like accuracy of the data on osm and and it's beautiful to see that you are working also to you know better improve um osm map and even like the benefits of it as well so yeah that's beautiful and um You know we've we've really been seeing in recent times you know the occurrence of new data types and you know uh new software and all that like how has the convergence of new data types new expectations and new demands altered the geospatial world in your opinion like compared to like years back and thankfully you've been practicing in this field for you know many years so you can really tell like the differences um, between how things were done when you started and how things are today, and, like, how do you see those new data types and, you know, new things affecting the geospatial world in general, really, and even also in Africa particularly?
0: Yeah, so I think that there's a lot of really interesting um, work being done to um, promote new standards in, like, the imagery, like the, like the GIS... Um, uh, raster data, so satellite imagery, um, other remote sensed imagery um, from aerial um, capture and drones and so forth. And there's so much of that data now coming online and there's, there's um, formats that make it um, very efficient to serve out um, through cloud, um, uh, native, um, you know, kind of methods and microservices. And because it's, you know, being refreshed so frequently we can now like look at things over time a lot more easily so there's you know there's a bunch of new satellites up in the up in the sky there's a bunch of new um you know technologies that are giving us you know different ways to interpret that imagery um there's artificial intelligence that's helping us extract features from that imagery and identify patterns and changes that we can take closer looks at um but i think that you know, the the really challenge, the, I guess the, the opportunity that I see with all these new data types and um, kind of new expectations for, you know, data being current, data being high resolution, the picture being very clear, um, is really like figuring out how to make the experience usable for people because, you know, a lot of people that are, um, used to working with GIS and data, you know, it, it's, it's just exciting that there's more data available because they're used to, used to it and know how to kind of adapt to the increased volume and, and the change that, um, that the new data types represent. But, um, but for others that aren't kind of, you know, native map, users or are learning to use maps as a, as a kind of a a new thing, um, they can be overwhelmed by the data and by all of the volume of the data that they need to sort through and filter out. So I think it's really going to be a challenge to like figure out how to really, you know, from a mobile first kind of approach, how to distill all that data down into really usable, um, you know, forms and presented to people in ways that it's helping them get the answers to the questions they're asking of that data. And, you know, just because we have a ton of data, we don't want to push all that data out to end users. We really want to like be smart about how we interpret that data and, um, and, uh, you know, transform it into, into insight, into knowledge, into learnings, into something that's actionable for someone from day to day. Because, um, it's, it's now so good that it's not like, you know, we used to have to, um, you know, kind of do a lot of modeling of data. Like we had to fill gaps. We had to interpolate data. We had to downscale data. We had to extrapolate data. But now we have, you know, we have a lot of data that's more, in kind of the measured um state and not the modeled state so it's a lot of like um you know observations that we can use to provide real time insight at very specific locations that could really be used to help um people make daily decisions and not like long long range decisions where you know the data is kind of fuzzy so we can't really be sure so let's just let's let's make a a small um Kind of this decision now and then we'll we'll learn more later when we'll make a bigger decision. I think we have the ability to really build applications and tools to help people make decisions that affect their daily lives and not just high level decisions that um, you know affect government policy.
1: Mm, exactly, and what you said about like the you know abundance of data now, you know, kind of makes it necessary, you know, to have analysis ready data, and and like that's the field where. Um, most of the remote sensing experts are coming in to try to uh, make sure that, you know, this abundance of data can be consumable to the average man on the street. Not that there's so much data. So that's why, like, you know, the innovations in analysis-ready data, like I said, and even semantically looking through data to find, you know, the information and storing that and making it consumable for you know, decision makers, like you said. And yes, like, I, I really agree with that. That's the next challenge now is like, you know, finding the information and not just the data. We've gone past the days where data was so expensive, especially remote sensed data, that you just had to use one image a year or something. Now you have multiple images per day that are very high resolution and then it's it's the space is the place of now the analysts and like consultants like yourself to find how to compress that information um, that data and make it into easy bits of information for decision and policy makers that are not used to it. So yeah, definitely I agree with <laughs> what you said. And yes, and it's a challenge really even for us in the, you know, the geospatials field generally, like the workers and the consultants and the business owners and all that.
0: Yeah, it's a good problem because you get to be creative. Yeah, it's fun.
1: Exactly. Yeah, you get to be creative and you don't have to have the constraint of not enough data. Now there's so much data. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, what's your view on open source and proprietary geospatial data and software? Because, you know, as a commercial exper- um, enterprise, how would you correlate your use of open data? You use open data, you don't have to pay for the data. Like so how do you like say there's a balance there between being a commercial enterprise using heavily open source data?
0: Well, I I personally believe that the only data that should not be open is data that's um, that needs to be protected for Security, which is usually like critical infrastructure data, personal identity information, you know, things that, um, if they get into the wrong hands, it could cause serious harm. So I think that the, that the standard or, you know, the people's, um, first thought should be that this data should be open unless it, it, you know, meets one of those, um, tests or criteria. Um, when we approach problem solving, we want to bring the best available technology, software data to help solve the problem. So we don't think proprietary versus open first. We really like, let's understand the requirements, let's understand what the end user needs, let's understand what the capacities of the organization that we're working with are for taking on, if they want to take on proprietary software, do they have the budgets going forward to pay the, the licensing? Um, are they committed to GIS for the long term? Are they going to be having a lot of analysts that are working from the the same data. I mean, it kind of is always needs to be requirements driven when we when we do make that decision. Because if you're looking at like building like a GIS department within a big organization, then that really points to proprietary because you have the whole stack of software and tools that can support all different types of use cases that you might have within that organization. If you're really like looking for something specific, then it's it's mainly being done like on the web, like maybe putting a locator map on a website so people can find where your branch offices are or, um, you know, building something that's really project-based that doesn't need to have a lot of kind of long-term support or, you know, need to be built so that it can scale to serve, you know, 100 million people at the same time, then it makes more sense to do something that's Um, using open source tools because open source tools are typically lighter weight. They typically can be more componentized so that you can only take the bits of technology that you want and not take the whole stack or the whole big, um, you know, proprietary package. Um, so it really, in my mind, um, you know, I have a bias towards open because I think that, um, you know, it's great to build things that a lot of people can benefit from. And a lot of the clients that we work with have it as a requirement. So when we work with like a big donor organization or a big government organization, they are asking us to build global public goods and those need to be open and those need to be accessible to, to everyone on, on the planet. So, um, to when we kind of come at it, we like really I'd like to understand, well, you know, what's the long-term view of, of how this is going to be used and who's going to be using it? And is this the start of like a, a more formal GIS function or is this the start of a of a, um, of a kind of a one-off project that, um, you know, doesn't need quite so much infrastructure behind it? And, you know, generally, if you're going to be doing something that's very highly customized for your use case or for your particular problem that you're trying to solve, then that would point more towards open source. And if you're looking for something that's, um, you know, fairly straightforward, you know, a very understandable and um, kind of traditional uh, GIS problem to solve, then that would go more towards a proprietary because that kind of model is used to like solving the same problems over and over and building software that does that very well. Whereas the open source is, is tends to be more, you know, like, like I mentioned, lighter weight and adaptable to to unique use cases that require a custom approach.
1: Yeah, that's, that's really the point with um, open source and, you know, proprietary data and the fact that open source data, like you said, most data, like all data should be open source. And this is something that I've seen adapted all over the world, you know, but Africa is just, you know, coming up to that level. And even with the with the advent of the digital earth, um, Africa, at least we know remotely sensed data is becoming even more accessible, but then there's also the case of like, socioeconomic data and like, you know, um, you know, data such as transport networks and all that, which, you know, we're really just trying to come on board with. And yeah, like you said, like proprietary data, um, proprietary software, then that's the case for proprietary software is the fact that most people tend to go towards even open source, but then there's still the use cases for proprietary software because they are, they tend to be more advanced and more capable to do a lot of so many different things. And you said, yeah, so big uh, corporations and organizations would maybe definitely maximize the use of that. Now, how is Locana promoting an open and freely accessible catalog for data and people using this data? Because I know this is something that, like, it's a thing now at Locana and it's a project you're working on. Could you tell us a bit more about this?
0: Yeah, so what we try to do is... um, build our application architecture so that they have um, open architectures where we have like a data tier that's accessible via API so that we could theoretically expose that API and anyone who would want access could be granted access directly to the data through the API. So making it so that people can get directly to the source or the raw or the primary data is one of our principles that we try to follow. And that always depends on you know our client and what their requirements are. Um, a lot of the projects that we build that are like decision support tools that have like literally hundreds or sometimes thousands of different data layers we encourage our customers to build a data catalog interface so that we build a separate metadata database that makes all of those data layers searchable, filterable. Um, We uh, make sure that there's like a thumbnail available so that, Um, people can see the extent and kind of see the contents of the data set so that they know, kind of have do a visual check to like, oh, yeah, that's the data I'm looking for. Um, But then we also encourage our customers to build what we call an explore experience. So not only do we want to provide a discover experience, which is kind of the data catalog and being able to search through keywords, filter by date, filter by theme, filter by um, geography, but then, you know, um, after you've kind of seen that data in that thumbnail view and just getting a static image of it, can you go in and interrogate that data by doing some simple, you know, kind of point and click and finding out what the values are and confirming that the, 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 um, the contents of that data are adequate to meet your needs. So, you know, we advocate for whenever the data are open in our projects, um, we advocate for those types of experiences so that when, you know, we have been asked by a customer to assemble this fantastically viable um, library of data, we, you know, build those tools to make it accessible to um, a a wide audience. And, you know, since we've done these types of projects, a lot of times we can generally kind of build those experiences fairly quickly by reusing code, by following um, patterns that are well established and, um, and using, you know, open standards and metadata protocols and, you know, not recreating the wheel, but really making it kind of another node of, um, of an open data, um environment that, or ecosystem that people who are used to discovering data um, online can, uh, can find access to and really um, easily look find what they're looking for.
1: Could you discuss a bit about um, what Locana is seeing globally and in Africa? Mm, what trends can you look out for both in terms of public and private sector involvement in development and the application of geospatial technology and data?
0: Sure. Yeah, so um, one of the things that we're seeing a lot of is people ready to take action around climate change and looking to how to adapt to a changing climate. Um, and that is happening in our private sector clients where they're looking to adapt their supply chains to different um, patterns of agricultural productivity so as the climate changes the environment in certain areas certain crops are going to be more viable than others um and um and so they want to stay ahead of that and know that if they're not going to be able to source coffee from the same state in um in central africa then they need to source it from a different state where they're starting to cultivate coffee because the climate has become more beneficial to the to that crop. Um, So I think there's a lot of value in local knowledge for, you know, agricultural commodities and where those can, you know, be grown, which is a, you know, there's a, that's a very complicated problem because you have issues of land ownership and land use compatibility and supporting infrastructure, which not only roads, but like agro-dealers and training centers. And I mean, there's a lot of infrastructure that goes around kind of moving an agricultural um pattern if you will um within the ecosystem but i think in general like climate change and ag- and agriculture is, is a big area and the local knowledge needed to make sure that those decisions are the right ones is very key um, another thing that we're seeing and this is in more of the donor international ngo space is um helping to support, monitoring, evaluation, and learning. This is, again, an area where local knowledge is absolutely critical. So investors want to make sure that the um, projects that they're supporting are achieving the the intended outcomes. So monitoring and evaluation and learning is a component of that is, is the on the ground field work that goes out to measure the change, observe the change and to report that back so that tweaks can be made to you know, a project or a strategy and that the, um, you know, kind of there's a feedback loop so that the investments that are being made are actually effective. And then, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of opportunity in uh, what we call, you know, place matching. And we have some ideas around, you know, using like social media data and using socioeconomic data and using points of interest data to really, um, you know, characterize locations that people find that match their lifestyle. This, um, preferences so we see like a lot of people since the pandemic kind of feeling like they have more ability to move around um where you know i moved during the pandemic um because my job didn't require that i went to an office anymore and we see that kind of across the globe so so we're building tools to like um take people's preferences in through a quick quiz and then show them different locations that Based on their answers, might be really compatible to um, where they might want to live, or find a, a new job, or um, or you know raise a family, or you know just have a better um, opportunity space for recreation, or meeting people, or um, or going to school, or whatever the case may be. So, I think um, beyond that, there is a lot of like when I look at the commercial mapping industry, I'd say that the base map pieces have been commoditized and largely standardized on osm so there's not so there's still you know value in doing osm but that's going to be kind of volunteered information i think going forward just kind of the core osm stuff but the big mapping services are looking for points of interest data because that's really where they differentiate and that's kind of the proprietary piece for their base map so that's what what you know if you you go into um uh, you know, a map and you see a business on a map, you click on that and there may be some um, details about the business, but that sort of thing, like making sure that all of the points of interest are on the map and making sure that those things are kept updated, there is value to be um, to be had there. And, um, you know, when big companies are looking to source that data, they're you know, willing to pay for it because it has significant economic value. So capturing that kind of data, and if you want to be in a data provider, um, that would be a really interesting place to go. And and it kind of goes back to the origins of you know, some of the earliest geospatial companies and that I was aware of in Africa were building these bu- business listings and going around and um, – you know, in, in talking to individual businesses and, and, mm-hmm. and, and they would subscribe to that, that map, mm-hmm. I think that same kind of business model might exist again because mm-hmm. there's so many more companies that are looking for that data and are willing to pay for it.
1: Well, that's a very good angle to it that personally I personally hadn't thought about, but then it brings to mind some of the analysis that we're doing, like you said, uh, those points of interest data and keeping them updated, although it's a very big deal, it's valuable information, like you said, And then it's even beneficial to even the businesses themselves because personally, you know, in my interaction with certain local businesses, you know, back in Nigeria, like I've been able to access businesses just by going through like the maps, you know, and then some of them even make better sales because of the fact that they are on a map. And this is something that if most businesses knew about, no matter how local, no matter how small scale. It even helps them also to grow. And even apart from gathering the information, it's up to us, people like us, like evangelists of the geospatial sector like us, to influence people to know the benefits of being on a map or being spatially aware as a business also. So yeah, that's a really good angle. from And, and also even pointing to the fact that you said something about monitoring and evaluation and it being like a local thing that like local people would have to do to validate what international organizations are doing and also i know that you are an international organization so do you work with um local organizations to maybe achieve things like this and also even in africa and nigeria where you're so um, vibrant your work is are you maybe seeing in some time now having a permanent presence in an African country or something so like um, having a, you know, physical presence and maybe like employing some of the local talents or geospatial talents or people to, you know, be part of, of Locana. Is it something we can look forward to in in near future or you're okay with just taking up some consultants and some local, you know, organizations to do the local work?
0: Well, I think we would prefer to work with partners and we do have partners, um, in Africa that we've worked on projects with and we, um, you know, we work with both like individual contributors that we find, um, you know, so that can serve a role on a project and, you know, contribute like we had on one project, we had a database architect that worked with us that was based, um, you know, in the same, um, Uh, city as the client was and they helped us design the database they did all the requirements gathering and then we collaborated on the rest of the application and that was you know a person that just um we got contacted um through some of our university contacts and um did a great project we also have you know work with small firms that are you kind of i would consider startups um and that's kind of what we have a bias towards because we kind of have a startup mentality. So, um, our cultures are very, um, compatible that way. And so we've worked in with startup companies to, you know, do everything from training to software development to data gathering to, um, you know, you know, just running conferences and doing uh workshops and 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 all kinds of different things and um you know what we used to do and probably should think about doing again is we would go into different um cities that we knew had startup hubs and we would have unconferences at the startup hubs that were called Workcamp africa and what We were planning, what we were intending to do was just get together the community of people that were already working with geospatial, but also people that were curious about it. So we would have a good mix of people that were coming to talk about their own, um, projects and capabilities. And then we would bring in some other folks, like we would, you know, bring in technology companies and we would bring in, um, people from our client organizations that we're working with so that we were making connections, but also we were making, um, Relationships that we could then use when we had project work, and we could um, we could work with in um, in, uh, in delivering. And another model that we've kind of done is a lot of times if it's a big project for an international NGO that is kind of a long term investment for them, and they want it to be sustained going forward, is that they'll find a host organization to take over. So that is usually either like a government entity or it's a Um, and a a local NGO that's, um, created to take on the work going forward. So, um, so we've done a lot of kind of handoffs and spent, you know, weeks kind of doing side by side training and technology transfer. Um, but we love to be, have partners involved from the start. And, you know, it's, it's, um, sometimes a challenge to keep these, um, relationships going because people, you know, move, they change. Um, what their career direction is, and um, you know our our ten- our work tends to be project based, so it comes and goes. Once the project's done, there may be a gap until the next one. So, um, so for us, it was like really great to work through partners that we you know develop very strong trust relationships with, and understand clearly kind of how the um, the division of work can can be done and so that we are, you know, giving both kind of the things that they can do very well, but also opportunities to grow and um, and go in the direction that they would like to, and, you know, use our work as opportunities um, to move forward. So, um, so I think that to answer your question, you know, we're totally interested in partnerships first. And then, you know, if it makes sense for us, because we have so much work going on that we need uh, a presence just to, um, to coordinate, then that would be the only case that we would. And even when we did have a lot of projects going on in Africa, or when we do, um, we tend to, like, piggyback on um, other partners' um, facilities. So we, we uh, you know, kind of camp out in somebody else's office or uh, something like that. So, yeah. yeah.
1: Okay. that's. <laughs> thank you for that.
0: No, it's been great. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. And I really have enjoyed answering your questions.
1: Thank you.